welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Once again, we're recording at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers, Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of the Fanatic, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on the Apple Podcast app, on Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. Now, listeners, I want you to listen to the end because we are going to have a very special audience write-in section. Um, so if you want to write in and you want to know what to write in about, listen to the end. Right. And also, before uh, when you listen to the end, make sure you leave us a comment on any of the platforms on which you're listening to this podcast. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Give us a rating. Thumbs up, thumbs down. We love to hear from our listeners. All right. This week on More to Come. DC disasters continue. <laughs> How's that, huh? A way to kick off the show. Yeah. An open letter to Webtoon and other digital platform news. Titan Manga debuts. Stan Sky goes Dark Horse. Yeezy versus Cherry. And we'll explain that all to you in short time. So, is DC just a slow motion train wreck? Well, <laughs> is I that mean, what we're saying? Not well, quite. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a little hyperbolic okay, this, that's what this we look, week. We had a little hyperbole this to week, the show. This week, but you know, we wanted to keep you in suspense. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it's a very specific part of it is a train wreck. Well, I would say WBD Discovery is, you know, yeah, still a flaming dumpster fire. I think we reported, I think last time we were all together, it was breaking news. The story had just come across my wire that it looked like they were going to hire Dan Lin at Warner Brothers Discovery to head up to be the Kevin Feige right. of of uh, DC. You know, that log, the one as I call him. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, The it, boy who lived. Chosen one. Chosen one. <clears throat> um, yeah, the jokes you made the, is is that he was going to be the new drummer for Spinal Tap, uh, the warrior of light, uh, the chosen one, uh, the one who will balance the force. Yeah, the one who will balance the force. Well, he was supposed to balance the force, not destroy it again. Uh, David Zasloff, I mean. Uh, well, you know, they said it wasn't a dead, done deal, and it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> it clearly was Negotiations not. broke down because... Dan Lin is a very successful producer and he has his own production company that has all kinds of deals and he just kind of launched his own charity. And, uh, I guess he wouldn't give them up to take this thankless job for a studio <laughs> yes. that doesn't even have enough money to re release two movies according to yeah. talk around town. Yeah. So, uh, the search continues. Yeah. And I mean, it, it may well be not so much that what he would have to give up as just how thankless and not worth his while <laughs> it might be to try. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame. He did seem like he would have brought a lot to the job. He loves DC characters. He seems to understand them. He's a very successful producer, so he would have been great. Uh, I haven't even seen on, you know, I get all the industry newsletters and so on. I haven't even seen a new shortlist, so uh, the search continues. Uh, but, you know, good news. I mean, just talking about... uh 
coming over the transom and just looking and uh just got the second trailer for Black Adam, which is oh. opening on October 21st. So, you, you know, they are going to release a DC-themed movie this hopefully year. Hopefully it will make money. And hopefully it will make money and, uh you know. Get the rock looking rock-like. Yeah. yeah. And I, in, I guess, good news, um, Ezra Miller has been spooked by the possibility that their movie might be canceled, apparently, and has uh, <laughs> said that, uh, you know, they're very sorry and behaving themselves and all that good stuff. Yeah, well, so, par- seeking help. Seeking, seeking he, help. He came, he, they came in from the cult. They came yeah, in from the so, cult, um, you know, turned themselves in. And, uh, there's hope for the Flash. So yeah, DCEU <laughs> still. Both. Did he think that, no, oh, who would care that what am I doing? In well, my that's, private th- I time? mean, that's what they're saying. It's like they didn't bother, it didn't bother them that they were being accused of grooming. But then when they were like, well, we might have to cancel the movie. That, you know, that's like, they were like, oh crap. Well, I, I think it might well be that they were like, well, everyone who knows me knows it can't possibly be true. But then when it was like, well, even if everyone who knows you knows it might can't possibly be true, there will be concrete consequences to your life if people get the wrong idea. So maybe don't do that. And I mean, even if that's not true, they still were doing plenty of things that were illegal and stupid. <laughs> yes, there's that. Yeah, and and not understanding. I mean, look, I, I don't mean to play a psychologist here, or yeah. but um, you know, not understanding the import of their acts is um. It's a pretty bad sign. It's yeah, yeah. It it speaks to uh, some kind of impairment. I don't know them well enough to say what kind. Yes, it yes. may be chemical in nature as opposed to natural. Yes, or not. Who knows? Well, I hope Ezra's getting help. Yes. I really do because uh, obviously they, they need it. They need it. Um. Well. Okay. Uh. So DC Comics uh had good and bad. It wasn't a total disaster. So good for them. They signed a new deal yeah. to distribute with Universal Distribution, which is a Canadian company that has acted as a sub-distributor for Marvel and DC. And you can get a lot of – they're a sub-distributor that distributes a lot of comics, but they're going to be a primary distributor for DC. And this is, interestingly, a company that a lot of people have talked about since the diamond meltdown back during the olden uh-huh. days, of the, the early days of the pandemic, all sure. those years mm-hmm. ago. And a lot of people were th- saying that Universal might step up because they already were distributing periodical mm-hmm. comics. Uh, so this is, this is a good news. I think mm-hmm. it's good to have more choices and, um, you know, Absolutely. more distributor, just dist- dist- distribution bingo continues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned then, uh, in the beat story that, uh, they have their own retailer summit. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's got to count for something. Right. Yeah. Right. And also in good news, um, a DC book, N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell's Far Sector oh, right. won mm-hmm. best comic at the 2022 Hugo Awards, which, uh, listeners, if you're a comics person and not a sci-fi person, that's the science fiction version of the Eisners. There you go. <coughs> and actually, if you look into the More to Come archives, actually, I interviewed um, uh, K. Jemison at uh, from one of the early, uh, right after the early run of yeah. Far Sector came out. So she talks a little bit. That's a short interview at the DC booth. I can't remember what so- year it is. It probably was twenty eighteen. So I would like to, uh, on the topic of 
uh, Universal and DC Distribution. Um, I would like to draw attention to a story up on the Sketched website. That's S-K-T-C-H-D, which is normally paywalled uh, for Patreons. But uh, the site creator, David Harper, made this piece available to everyone. Uh, it is called On Lunar Distribution and How Certain Things Work. And it's a, it's kind of a, another view of lunar and periodical prices and discounts. Because we did talk, you know, Brian Hebbs wrote a Tilting at Windmills that I ran on the beat that we talked about, a, you know, a few weeks ago. Where he was like, that's it, I'm done. I can't carry periodicals anymore because my discount is so low. Um, and this is a very interesting story because kind of refutes a lot of the problems that that Brian is having and I mean I've got to be honest look and Brian friend of the podcast friend of mine and you know I respect his opinion a lot this was a very controversial take on his behalf yeah Uh, he's a major comics pundit so you gotta weigh in yeah but I'm telling you I had major industry personnel and I said, oh, what'd you think of Brian's column saying it is full of beady, beady. <laughs> okay. Like people did not like us. Uh, so anyway, I just want to point out that, uh, Christina Merkler, who is the co-owner of Lunar Distribution, uh, said that not all retailers saw a change in their discount when these updates were made. Uh, the large majority of retailers did not change with any of these updates. A small percentage went down as well as went up with each of these evaluations. Uh, so apparently you can adjust your orders to change your discount and, uh, which is maybe something that Brian wasn't able to take advantage of. And then there was one other, uh, thing that he said that, uh, I want to be call out, which is that he said that they appear to be stocking backlist inventory based on sales through in stock trades, a retail company that, that is also co-business of Lunar's. And uh, Merkler says, DC determines all the backlist inventory that we carry. The monitor sales through us and the book market distributor. So I just, you know, mm-hmm. I think what Brian has to say is very valid, uh, interesting. Uh, a lot of people in the industry disagree with it. And a lot of retailers are very happy with Lunar and have a fine discount mm-hmm. and are not losing money carrying uh, periodicals. And yeah. for those who detest Lunar, as some do, because they consider it a competitor. Now, universal distribution is not so much of a... They're Canadians. They're lovable. They're friendly, lovable, cuddly Canadians. And they don't own a comic shop. And they don't own a comic shop. Yeah, so. it, I've read it. It's uh, it's not quite as long as Brian, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it, it takes on all of the points. But uh, I, I think at the end of it, I, I certainly can relate to it. And he's just talking about the fact that, okay, there's more options than ever before for the direct market. It's not going to be good for all of you, but you really need to learn this new world that we're living in here. Right. Um, Sometimes going on default does not always work the best. Sometimes you need to figure out what all the little tips and tricks are for any new landscape. Yeah. Yeah. And I just ultimately, though, this is why it's important to remember that each retailer doesn't represent the entire market and why any single shop's negative experience doesn't necessarily mean doom and gloom is back on the menu. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and... Uh, I mean, look, there are some retailers who complain quite a bit about this, that, and the other thing. And sure. yet we still, we don't see 
the downfall of the comics industry as foretold <laughs> by, you know, the, 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 the those, those, uh, YouTube videos who are just like, you know, it's dying, it's dying, it's dying. Oh, yeah, yeah. I uh, have heard that for the entire time. Yes. I have read about comics on the yes. internet. And that seems to be quite the opposite to the sales curve I'm seeing as someone who now talks about comics on the internet. Yes. Well, I think I even saw a tweet by Chip Mosher on Twitter, I think last week, and he was just saying, you know, this business of like doom and gloom in the comics industry, it's, it's ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> well, Chip is definitely a glass yes. three quarters full Absolutely. Uh, type. And you know what? Good. Good for him. Yeah. He's not wrong. I mean, we're still, look, we're seeing, uh, uh, PW has a story every day about print sales falling. Look, we had a big high during the pandemic. And we're readjusting right, right now, but they're still readjusting at higher levels yes. than before In the 2019. Pan- yeah, yes. right. And yes. also, I mean, honestly, we have been talking about, and not just we as in this podcast, but we as in people who write about print media or talk about print media, that there have been these supply chain shortages. There have been these printing backups. Do you think that's not going to affect the amount of stuff on the shelf for people to buy and therefore the amount of money spent? Yeah. Well, also, people are going back to their real lives and spending time outside. So, yeah. Well, yeah. we're having... What do you expect? Yeah. We're, this is an interesting time, for yeah. sure. Uh, changes are coming. Absolutely. More to come. But always, always changes are coming. Yeah. Uh, so that was good for DC, new distribution, distributor, but they unfortunately had a kerfuffle. Yeah. And... The kerfuffle was a shocker, but I have to say my understanding of uh, what how it exactly went down is a little bit more mixed than it was a bit more nuanced than yeah. the outrage that uh, was immediate on on, on uh, social media. Yeah, but, but uh, and the, we're covering it because it's a much bigger kerfuffle than usual. It's a kerfuffle that managed to make it to NPR, so it's big enough that I guess we need to cover it. Sometimes. We're often showing up being like, ah, this publisher's in the wrong. Sometimes we need to show up and go, well, maybe not. Well, something weird happened. Something ba- weird Basically, happened. Basically, it was, uh, uh, it is Hispanic Heritage Month and, uh, DC did a series of variant covers as they do for every month that is, you know, for Pride Month. Yeah. For, uh, Black History Month, for Women's History Month, for Asian American Pacific Islander Month. And they did, like other covers in these series have shown people with their foodstuffs, but in this case they showed various, uh, Latin identities with food that, such as tacos <laughs> and tamales, tama- tamales. Yes, and, uh, they, they, you know, the artist, uh, tweeted out this, this, um, cover that was uh, the name of the artist. I'm trying to find his uh, his name because his name was uh, Jorge Molina. Jorge Molina. And uh, he p- tweeted out this cover of Kyle Rayner, who is uh, a Hispanic Green Lantern, holding a bag of tamales and it really just did look like he was a delivery guy delivering mm. some a bag of tamales. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it it turned out that that was not what he initially drew. It got edited. Well, it's not okay. Yes, he had done a different cover that had was a takeoff on a famous artwork, and then somebody was like, "Well, we can't run that because it's a 
take off on a famous artwork, you know, ignoring the 7,000 covers and pieces of art that are put out every year that are attributing, you know, yeah. the Mona Lisa or whatever. Uh, so this, this, uh, tamale cover was made, but I, this is very important. No one at DC, like when I, I am told when editors at DC saw this, they were as, uh, no as everyone and like, no, we so can't. Whose idea this was cover. it? Well, that we don't know. Uh, we don't know who's, and you know, it was a, sometimes you, you miss the forest for the trees for sure. So I, I think, Molina, you know, tweeted it out and he did come clean later on and point out that the cover was yeah. never planned to run. Right. It was never scheduled to run. So he, you know, he was fanning the flames. Yeah, but I, I'd say so. But I do think, uh, he, he raised some, you know, it created a lot of awareness. And, uh, you know, one of my writers, Ricardo Serrano Denis, wrote a very good piece about, uh, just how there's a lot of blind spots over, Hispanic, Latin, sure. um, uh, you know, characters and readers in in comics, and I, I think this just hit hit a blind spot. Yeah, and I mean, we don't know whose blind spot exactly it is. And uh, kudos to DC for never actually planning to print it. <laughs> yeah, for but having yeah. some internal mechanism, they caught it and said, you know, right. maybe not. But the the mere fact that this you know, put everyone's back up might just be a reminder to comics publishers everywhere mm. to, you know, take a second look at that cover. One of the things that Ricky wrote is the minute I saw this cover, I was reminded of the proverb, the road to hell is paid with good intentions. I didn't consider the change malicious, but I did take it as a lazy and holy and misguided attempt at allyship. I don't believe the covers are necessarily racist, as some people did in the comments, but they are intensely and overtly stereotypical. It doesn't make it any less serious, though. Being stereotypical is bad enough. Very good point. Yeah, it's dumb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, up and down for DC and, uh, you know, no more bags of tamales. At least not on the cover. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about the this new era of mobile web comics uh, and the platforms, particularly two platforms, Webtoon and Tapas Media. There are many others. Um, their models bring in... I mean, really thousands of artists. Uh, they're also known for, you know, really, uh, bringing in young uh, creators, um, uh, monitoring their traffic, uh, helping them build communities, um, and build really a whole new channel and format for reading comics uh, on your phones. Um, and along the way, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, that these new platforms are, are, are operating in a publishing category, maybe in ways different than in the past. Uh, we were, there, there was some suggestion that, it, you know, oh, this is much better than, say, the exploitation that goes on in, in the print world, right. be it the traditional comic world or in the book world, for that matter. Um, well, you know, we, we, we've talked on this podcast about maybe that isn't the case. Maybe there is a rising sense of, uh, discontent among the artists about uh, what's happened to their traffic or, or put it this way at time immemorial uh, in the relationships between publishers and the artists that, uh, uh, that they, they release um, transparency over how their wages are determined. Well, yeah. And specifically and on their sales, specifically right? there and, was a, and there a, was an open letter, an open letter, there's right? an open letter that actually seemed to go right to this point 
And it seems to be revealing that there is quite a bit of discontent and there's a quite a bit of challenges to how these companies conduct their business. So was uh, that yeah. a long enough lead in? No, that, <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. that was an excellent lead in. But, uh, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's written by someone named Miranda who does a comic, uh, called, I am not familiar with this comic, Muted, hmm. but, uh, they are just, uh, they are pretty, pretty open about, yeah. uh, ask, very specific. We want, and this letter has been posted on Twitter yes, now, but, for sure. Yes, so, it's a, it's and, a G, Doc. It's up on Twitter, and uh, it's already been responded to. I yes. Mean, it, I mean, Webtoons. Webtoons responded to it. Yeah. But it's interesting, the response to Webtoons' response. Yes, exactly. So uh, Webtoon got right on it, to their credit. Yes. I have seen, we have talked many Absolutely. times about uh, comics publishers. Who weasel not, away from... From, yeah, who avoid, know. avoid, avoid. And uh, they got right on it like an hour later and uh, tweeted... Uh, creators are so important to us. We're passionate about your stories as you are. Our creator team received your note and reached out. We've suggested a meeting and hope to discuss your concerns soon. To which there was kind of a big outcry on Twitter. It's like, well, why don't we need, we need a town hall? We right. need, and you know, specific complaints are about, uh, accounting, like not yes. being able to see the numbers, not yeah. being able to see the, income. which is of course shocking yeah. in a digital, on a digital platform. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, completely breathtakingly. Uh, suspicious. <laughs> yeah, so one of the, from this letter from Miranda, one of the biggest questions people have is regarding their performance on the platform, which we do not have any access to in the slightest. Access to our data and performance is critical as it affects our pay directly. Ever since the introduction of the minimum revenue threshold, we have felt taken advantage of and even, and even frequently deliberately lied to, as we simply have to take them at their word without any concrete information. We understand that platforms hosting our stories must stay profitable, to remain in business, but the minimum revenue threshold is an insult that continues growing worse. And that is a brief excerpt. This is a five-page letter. Yes. It's very detailed. And uh, uh, one particularly specific. damning part is the accusation that when some people finally, finally got their sales numbers, they were able to see that they hadn't been paid as much as they should have mm-hmm. been. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and what's this, is this, um, this MRT, um, do they give to, I think she gives a quick definition of it because it, apparently it's some kind of a circulation or traffic number that they're expected, yeah. but it's a moving goalpost. Right. Right. Uh, and no one seems to, and they can't check to verify whether they've made mm-hmm. it or not made it. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they do make it, they reset the counter. So that's pretty crappy. Um, so yeah, the minimum. So it appears as though it's almost an effort to uh, uh, to prevent you from knowing what your traffic right. is. Yes. Right. <laughs> Minimum revenue threshold. Yes. Um, Sorry. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, and look, we have been on this podcast for several years talking about how do people on Webtoon and Tapas make money. And, you know, we know it's like the, um, y- you know, the Laura Olympus of the Rachel Smiths of the world do make money yeah. at it and probably pretty decent money but uh most people don't make any money sure. at it mm. so uh but they do have like like you said calvin i mean this is a digital platform they they, they have owned to have by numbers. the google of korea they certainly know how to measure of course. so any it's any, absurd that they it's don't absurd have this. that they don't have metrics yeah. now i mean either their english speaking staff is insanely incompetent or people are just intentionally being obstructionist. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it really doesn't make any sense and it's completely indefensible that digital artists don't know 
any kind of traffic numbers that are generated on the platform. I, they, they have to have it. They can certainly provide it. It doesn't make sense. And of course, even in the old school publishing world, what they're trying to do as authors in the old school publishing world complain constantly about not uh, about their royalty pages and their royalty statements. Um, they're, they're, they're creating these dashboards. So to give authors some insight and mm-hmm. some of the, some detail about the numbers here. So don't tell me that they can't a do digital that. platform yeah. can't provide this kind of, of information. Yeah. So, come on. So this come is, on. Yeah. So this is obviously there's rising discontent. Now I will say this as I read the letter, there is also this great a love for these platforms and how it's transformed, uh, the ability to reach a new audience for a new generation of, co- uh, of comics yeah. artists to find their audience. They still, and they, and, and she says that in this letter, but you know, you that can, works, that love only goes up to a point. Well, yeah. And one doesn't <laughs> have really anything to do with the other. Yes. You can love the audience and love the platform and still say, but you're not being transparent with yeah, money. Absolutely. Two totally different things. Absolutely. Great platform. Money is a problem yes. at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And, um. Apparently, by, by the way, just, uh, Miranda's pronouns are they, them. So, oh. uh, which we, I always assume they are until I know different. I so, did not know. Yeah. So, uh, just, uh, but you know, they, they have opened the door to something that's been, yeah. um, rumored for quite a while. And I think this is, um, Open the door wide open, and we're yeah. going to see uh, some more discussion of this. Well, you know, this would be a really good time for Tapas to be like, we give our creators this information, and if they don't, for them to quit give their creators this information, so that because they're always trying to steal a, <laughs> a jump on each other, like they're yeah intense rivals. So this would be a inexpensive way of courting creators away from their rival. Give you a competitive advantage. Give competitive advantage. And also, goodwill from readers who are very attached to the comics they read and who are very loyal to the creators of those comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, these are very revolutionary. They have really changed a lot of the comics landscape. And and this is an easy fix. And, uh, well, uh, it's, well, a, it's, well, it's, it may not I be an easy fix. Easy no, no, I do think, I, I personally feel that large corporations are always, uh, trying to keep these numbers out of the creator's hands. Well, it would be uh, easy for them right. to fix. They just don't want to yes, do it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. and, you know, along those lines, uh, we do see other giants getting into these platforms. And, uh, you know, the number one rival in the United States of Webtoon is Tapas, which is owned by Cacao, and they just did a six oh, billion yeah. dollar IPO. Yeah, they haven't, they've announced it. They're not six billion dollar IPO billion. just, just for the manga portion of and, and comics portion of cacao. So that's not cacao as a whole. That is just the comics section, the manga comics webtoon section of cacao. I mean, uh-huh. webtoon, not webtoon, TM. It's tapas instead. Yeah. It's tapas and, uh, picoma, which is their Japanese branch, um, is, is going for a $6 billion IPO 
early next year, uh, in Tokyo, actually. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they get that $6 billion mm-hmm. and how yeah. it goes. Yeah. That'll, uh, significantly, uh, yeah. up, up the game. And, uh, there was somebody else jumping into the, the pool, right, Kate? Oh, yes. So Shueisha has, uh, decided to get into the game, sort of. They're not using the same business model as a whole, but they are taking up the practice that Tapas, Webtoon, many other Webtoon type apps, not all of them, but many have of user submitted content, right? The equivalent of, you know, self-published Kindle book or something. Um, Shueisha is opening their own user submitted manga platform, um, which they are calling Manga Plus <laughs> Creator Platform. Creative, yeah. Um. <laughs> and it is aimed at English and Spanish speaking creators worldwide. Um, and they are even going to give prizes out to the most popular creations. All right. So hopefully this will not be a scam. <laughs> um, hopefully it will be like other things where if you promote yourself well, people will read it. And if you don't, they don't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a scam, but. um. Well, I was thinking of Tokyo Pop. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Shueisha's well, probably a better, better deal. I do think Shueisha, Cacao, and Naver are lightning years beyond uh, to- Tokyo Pop's um, original English original, language. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Manga. The, yeah. The original. Well, not original. I mean, it's been going on for a long yeah. time. No, but, but they're the original scammy version. Yeah. Okay. Are we moving yeah, on? Yeah. To Carry the on. Next? Uh, let's see. Um, well, in more manga news. <laughs> Uh, Titan Comics, um, a UK-based uh, uh, publishing, a pop culture publishing um, uh, outfit uh, that has a very strong presence in the U.S. market, is launching a a dedicated manga imprint. It's going to be called Titan Mon- Titan Manga. Titan, uh, not Titan Manga Plus. Yeah, because that would have been a great not, name. Titan I'm Manga sure Plus. Maybe on the digital side. Yeah. I mean, they launched a digital imprint. That's what Plus. they're calling it. But right now, it's still we Titan should, Manga. Yeah, we know we're launching a spinoff that's called More to Come Plus. As a matter of fact, <laughs> well, I'll just say More to Come on that. All right. Uh, we, we may not call it that. Uh, right. Maybe <laughs> we'll call it Max. Loose lips, sink ships. All right. So we're going to move on from that point. But don't worry, listeners. It'll be totally free, unlike everything else in the universe. Titan Manga. Um, it's going to launch uh, this month uh, with, I see, three three titles. A new uh, director's cut of uh, Takeshi Akazaki's Afro Samurai, uh, followed by the launch of Adam, the beginning, the beginning a prequel to uh, Osama Tezuka's uh, classic Astro Boy. Uh, and in October, Kamen Rider Kuga. I hope I didn't mangle that. I probably did. Uh, a new, new manga based on the uh, classic uh, Japanese television show. So it had a launch in November. And um, uh, I think they see the acquisitions editor, Duncan Baisley, uh, mentions, uh, and, and, and actually this is covered in a story uh, at publishersweekly.com uh, slash comics by uh, Bridget Alverson. And uh, she talked with um, the new acquis- with the acquisitions editor of the new uh, imprint, and he takes note of, of course, 
how the manga market has uh, grown exponentially. And so they're looking for they're looking for titles. They're looking to to do unusual stuff, supposedly personal uh, to their to their acquisitions program. And you can look for that, you know, at your local manga retailer. Uh, Stan Sakai, his Usagi Jumbo, is on the move again. Uh, I think Usagi has been through a lot of publishers. It started out at Fantagraphics. I guess it went to Fantagraphics, then it went to Dark Horse. It was recently, at Dark Horse for a very long time. It was, time. and it recently went to IDW, but guess what? It's leaving IDW and going back to Dark Horse, and it's getting its own imprint called Usagi Max. No, that's not what it's called. Um, Dogu. 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 And it's not going to be just for Usagi Yujimbo. It's going to be a imprint, uh, led by Stan Sakai. Yes, uh, that is correct. And, uh, you know, he mentions that he's doing it, uh, with his Wife, Julie, and his stepson, Daniel. And, uh, you know, I met them all at San Diego Comic Con mm-hmm. and Daniel has been, uh, the business manager. He's a very bright lad, uh, who's really been helping Stan, you know, get a lot of stuff out there. So, uh, you know, good for them. Uh, here comes, here comes, uh, Dogu and, uh, yeah. more, more Usagi Jimbo yeah, yeah. always. If you don't a- know who's Usagi Jimbo, you should. It's, yeah. It's a- Rabbit Samurai. Rabbit, Rabbit All Ronin. you need to know. <laughs> it's, it's been everywhere. And yeah. He's been everywhere, it's son. A, uh, a delightful, funny animal. Yeah. Just, uh, just a classic comic. Samurai comic. Uh, and also some publishing news is, uh, that bad idea is back. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I have not, I confession, I have not had time to really dig into uh, their, their return because I keep getting to the PR and then I'm like, I'm going to sit down and then, uh, just so I've been so many other things. Well, I was on vacation for two weeks also. That's why we didn't have a podcast last week, but they are back. They are publishing. Let's see. They are publishing, uh, ongoing, I guess they're one shots. Some of the creators, uh, Involved Peter Milligan, Juan Jose Ripe, Joshua Dysart, Alberto Ponticelli, Peter Miller, again, Robert Gill, Christos Gage, Jorge Monlango, David Lapham, and Maria Lapham. Always happy to see anything by David Lapham. He's one yes. of my faves. Uh, you know, a bunch of guys, obviously, aside from Maria Lapham, but, uh, you know, they're back. Now, uh, we'll have more on this, uh, next time in our podcast, uh, because there's been some you know they're controversial, but I I I personally think this line that is spearheaded by Dinesh Shamdasani, uh, former publisher of Valiant. Uh, you know they're uh, I think they're they're shaking things up, and you know some stores really like variant covers and like collectibles, and that's really what they're sticking with, and uh, they're using as their selling point. And you know uh, that's what some people like, so and that's what they're doing. They're not really hiding it, so. Uh, well, we have one other, uh, story here that was just, it's not really comics related, but it's just <laughs> so awesome. We just. It's tangentially it's comics gonna, It's kind of comic schadenfreude. It's co- comic schaden, <laughs> yeah, comic schadenfreude. So we talked on here over the last two years or so about the, the Cherry era at DC Comics. So <laughs> exactly Daniel Cherry the third, <laughs> was he the third? Uh, the second, I believe. Uh, was their general manager for a while, and uh, he's a bit of a shadowy figure. Didn't really come out to uh, comics folk. Um, 
you know, didn't appear. Well, obviously he was during the pandemic. I will say that for him. Um, January the 3rd. And then he pretty abruptly left DC telling people he was going to take a job with Kanye West, who apparently he was always name dropping that he was buds with. And instead of going to work directly with Kanye, which if you have been following Ye's social media presence for the last couple of years, it's probably a pretty good idea because yeah. he is obviously, you know, in the Ezra Miller category of someone who's dealing with stuff, with a lot of stuff and acting out quite a bit. But uh, Cherry instead went to work at Adidas, which has a deal with Ye uh for some shoes now in kanye's life some happiness has come because his ex kim kardashian has stopped dating pete davidson and yeah. you know there was literally you know videos of of pete davidson being shot buried i mean kanye was ca- constantly uh talking about pete davidson and uh, threatening him but pete's off the hook uh daniel cherry has moved in he is now the target of Kanye West's social media fury. And um he's just yeah. posting photos of him on Instagram. You know, we noticed it was a little funny that Cherry's PR photo had him wearing a hat. I mean, I'm a, you know, adult journalist. I'm just like, okay, the guy's wearing a hat. Well, Kanye is calling out the cap. Yeah. And, um... I got ideas starting with this hat. They gave me the job over Mark Minor because they love my hat idea. Damn, I miss Casper. Uh, and don't get a rapper manager. Yeah. So uh, he's he's just he's just oh he's deleted them. Luckily, I screenshot them. Uh, my name is DC. I was hired by the recently deceased Casper without Ye's knowledge to run the most culturally influential brand in the world. And so he's just been ripping on Adidas and Daniel Cherry. Well, and- I will say. When he says, well, I will say this, uh, Cherry was not a very respected fella at the halls of DC. Uh, apparently he did not do a lot to help the company during its kind of troubles. And, uh, you know, he kind of came and went pretty quickly. Yeah, he seemed to jump ship pretty quickly. He jumped ship pretty mm-hmm. quickly for Adidas and, uh, you know, ankled. Uh, ankled them quickly and i will just say that kanye has some friends at at dc comics they are they are cheering him on (laughs) (laughs) there you go keep those memes coming yeah yeah (laughs) all right okay well um uh very quickly um i just want to mention a couple of stories very quickly um I'm going to start off with very quickly, um, High Water Press. Uh, there's a great story on, on the beat uh, about uh, High Water Press, which specializes in um, uh, work by and about ind- indigenous people. And it's a Canadian publisher. Um, they're releasing, I mean, the, the beat did a story about a series called, um, uh, the, I know, I, I apologize for my pr- pronunciation of the Skaada story series, um, returning to the uh, Yakun River and dancing. With my ancestors, and I just bring this up because in 2019 I did a, an interview uh, with uh, the editors and some of the artists at, at High Water about um, uh, this place, 150 years retold, which was an anthology of work by Indigenous artists and writers, uh, really about uh, First Nations in Canada. 
and it's a wide-ranging anthology, but they have many other books. They specialize on doing works of, uh, about indigenous people. So I'm just saying, go for it. Uh, and if you're interested in the interview, it's in more to come, uh, 367 and 368. Now we talk about that and what the stories are. And in addition to that, we've got a, an, a Q and A, um, by Brian Heater with Alex Ross, uh, king of the superhero, of the dynamic superhero cover art, who's doing his first, uh, full graphic novel where he's writing and drawing it. It's an eye-popping treasure. It's an incredible, incredible wet kiss to Jack Kirby <laughs> and classic of Fantastic Four because the book is called Fantastic Four Full Circle. And it's, it, it, it look, it, this may not be for everybody, but if you grew up reading those comics, like I grew up reading those comics and to see Alex Ross's art and his, uh, as, as Brian asked him in the interview, the influence of Jack Kirby on this is inescapable. <laughs> so I'll leave it with that. But it's a, it's a great interview. And actually, if I say it, it's an entertaining and lively new graphic novel, and I think it's worth checking out. Uh, and also, very quickly, I want to mention one more thing. We have a panel mania, which is an excerpt uh, feature that we do. This year we're doing uh, – I, I, this is a really good book. That's why – you know what? I'm not going to mention this. I'm going to save it for later. Okay. Okay, and now the briefs. Yes, listeners, for once, we do have time for these, and I am glad because we've got a few. So, first off, um, apparently, DC has decided that, you know, either A, they really, really trust James Tinian, <laughs> or B, they are looking for some online multimedia furor in order to get people Googling Sandman again. But, uh, James Tinian Third is, uh, currently working on a Sandman spinoff about the Corinthian. The nightmare serial killer. That is to say, he's a serial killer who's a nightmare, literally, called Nightmare Country. And in this storyline, it has now become clear that the villain, the villain, is the Mormon angel Moroni. <laughs> now, spoiler alert, listeners, in the Book of Mormon, Moroni is not a villain. So I'm sure people will have some thoughts. Oh, dear. Um, I, I, it may be interesting to read. I'm going to take a look. But it's it does seem like it's going to be a little controversial. Perhaps more to come on that. than something that's not necessarily controversial, but... Also head scratchy. Hey, maybe it'll work out. Vivek Tiwari has licensed Will Eisner's uh, classic graphic novel, A Contract with God, about the Jewish immigrant experience, to become a Broadway musical. Nice. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not just a Broadway musical by one team or one famous songwriter. No, it's by sort of a grab bag of different famous Jewish pop stars. So the uh, list of people who will be contributing songs as of right now includes Mattis Yahoo, Sam Hollander, Lisa Loeb, Jill Sobule, and Ryan Miller. So this is a very 
mixed bag of songwriters. Uh, they're all famous and wonderful. But uh, <laughs> when you have that many cooks in the kitchen, I, I don't know how that's going to turn out. We'll see, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Vivek is a long-running... I mean, Grammy. I mean, he's yeah, won, excuse he's me, Grammy. The, uh, Tony Award. Tony I mean, he's Award, won yes. multiple Tony yes, Awards yeah. for, you know, best musical. Um, he's he's elite. And he knows his comics he because does. he won an Eisner for yeah. writing The Fifth, the fifth Beatle. Uh, yeah. Basically, yeah. Uh, I think... Look back Pretty much, uh, you know, yeah. we're in good hands. Yeah, I, so, I feel we're yeah. in very good it's, hands well, with this. It's something to take note of. But, yeah. Yes, but sometimes someone who is very skilled may have an idea that is overcomplicated. I, I hope he hasn't outsmarted himself. No, be well, I think the idea of having different composers is completely natural because it is, A Contract of God is an anthology. Yeah, it's short stories. Yeah, yeah, it's a collection of stories, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, hey, maybe, mm-hmm. but I just mean theatrical egos being what they are, <laughs> having that many <laughs> famous songwriters in one musical could be problematic. That's all I'm saying. Well, hopefully that's why Vivek gets paid the big bucks. That's why he's making the big bucks. And who he's, he's really a charismatic guy. I, if anybody can do this and make it work, it's, it's Vivek. Absolutely. And, uh, we do actually have a mini interview with him in the past. Hmm. Yes, actually we, yeah, I don't know who. Me. You did it. Great. Oh, great. Excellent. Uh, I actually, I know because I got him to, uh, autograph the fifth Beatle for a friend of mine. Okay. Um. Also, nicest guy in the oh, world. Oh, he is the nicest. He's <laughs> just, really just saying. a lovely person. Um, and so on that note, we do have one more brief, something that is not a long shot. Um, Rose of Versailles, the famous groundbreaking shoujo adventure manga, um, set in revolutionary France that, um, spanned an old anime television series that spawned multiple musicals that is a major bestseller and finally came to the United States in translation um, with a great labor of love from Udon, which hats off to them. Uh, listener, tune into our Rose of Versailles uh, special. It's multi-part. It is indeed. Um, and it's very good. Is going to get its own new anime film adaptation Whoa. in time for the tail end of the 50th anniversary of the manga. So for all those people who are like, I don't like janky old animation. Don't you have a new one for me? Now they do. Um, I wanted to bring up a story. I don't think we covered it here. Uh, but the attempt to declare gender queer, uh, ban it in Virginia was, or was denied. Yeah. And this is really, the lawsuit was, Huzzah! Yeah. Yes. This is re- actually not a brief. This is so- something, I, you know, I mean, it happened just after we recorded our last episode, but, uh, uh, the judge dismissed the obscenity lawsuit and actually said the law that the, the petition had been filed, uh, the, that was the basis of the pe- petition was unconstitutional. So it was a pretty, yeah. it was a pretty good ruling. Um, you know, Jeff Traxler of the CBLDF had been, representing Maya Kobeb, the author of Gender Queer in Court. And, you know, there's a lot of dark things happening in this country right? and uh, in libraries, and they are continuing. However, this one time, 
uh, the good guys won and freedom to read, uh, won. So just, yeah. uh, important yeah, to note probably. that. Yeah, because it wasn't just a matter of things not showing up in libraries. It was a push to keep things out of stores. Well, yeah, this would have uh, ruled it obscene and banned it from sale in the state anywhere. So yeah, it would have been pretty, uh, along with the, uh, the novel also, yeah. um, that was also part of the suit and uh, a court of mist and fury. So that wasn't obscene either, uh, interestingly. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes these stories have happy endings. Yeah. And we don't want to just tell you the doom and gloom part. And speaking of not just wanting to tell you the doom and gloom part, here, listener, here is your special offer. We, today, are going to talk about what's working for us, what we're enjoying in the world of comics and geekery. <laughs> tweet back to us what's working for you, and we may read your tweet on the show. Yeah, we'd love to get some of the ideas from our listeners out there. So tweet at us at, at PW Comics World and let us know what you're reading that you like or watching or consuming. This and is a, a free form question. It could be what you're creating. We don't care if it's geeky and it's making you happy. Tell us. So Kate, what is making you happy? Yeah. Well, this is kind of stupid, uh -oh. but unsung. It is Listeners, as, as you may guess, I'm a generation younger than my co-hosts, and I'm uh, perhaps a little too mobile mm -hmm. in my uh, televisual entertainment. Basically, I commute on the subway, and that's pretty much how I've been watching things. Um, and as a favor to my cats, <laughs> who wanted me to hang out in the living room, not kidding, I started watching things on the television, and I was like, huh televisions it's been a while <laughs> they're pretty good who knew okay just uh, a reminder kate is the young right, one on the, the young yeah, one. She's yeah young. i'm just like i mean it's not that i i mean i still love watching on the subway the subway gives me two hours of of reading or watching time per day and that's awesome but uh you know sometimes watching say sandman on a bigger screen with two cats purring at you is pretty cool there you go Oh, yeah, you know what you like. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of TV, we are, I'll, I'll go next. We are in the golden age of fantasy. Uh, since the, I've been here, we did, um, well, House of Drag, the Dragon, House of no. the Dragons on, uh, HBO, the Game of Thrones follow up. And then, of course, most important for Heidi, the Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings, the prequel in the second, the second age, a tumultuous time when we find High King Gail Gallad in Lindor and the, uh, Linden, pardon me, and the uh, Kingdom of Numenor and Galadriel and all this stuff going on. And, uh, you know, there's a, I, I've seen the first three episodes. Uh, of course, I have some nits to pick, but overall, it's pretty entertaining. Uh, what I'm enjoying more, to be honest, is kind of rekindling my Tolkien love. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, new scholarship since last I dipped my toe. So I've, I'm having to do a lot of research and into just what is the nature of uh, the essay of elves and their relationship with humans and where the two blue wizards uh, landed in Middle-earth. And I'm enjoying it very much. 
<laughs> Super duper awesome. Uh, well, you know what? I'm old school. I'm, uh, you know what? I've been reading comics. Uh, yes. so, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, but, but really, this is a, I, I, you know, I started talking about it earlier and I said, oh, now you, in my head, I was like, oh, you know what? This is going to be what I'm thinking because I really love this book. Um, and I ran an excerpt of it in the fanatic, uh, this past week. And it's, and it is a graphic memoir and it is, it is called, uh, Victory Stand by Tommy Smith. And I don't know if you know who Tommy Smith is. Tommy Smith is the great black Olympic track, track champion, uh, who raised a fist, uh, a black glove fist along with his, his colleague, John Carlos. Uh, at the 1968 Mexico City Olympics, after winning the gold medal in the 200 meter, he raised a fist in protest uh, of American racism uh, and injustice. Uh, and he was, of course, hounded out of his uh, other profession, out of uh, his he, out of his field after that because of this. But uh, this uh, graphic memoir is put together in collaboration with Derek Barnes, who worked with him to write it. And really, the incomparable Dawood Anubwile, uh, who some people may know him from Brother Man, a great mm. independent, classic independent comics done by these three black brothers, and, and it's really amazing. He has since gone on to other things, including um, a graphic adaptation of, of uh, Kwame Alexander's wonderful uh, book, The Crossover. But this this is just a great graphic memoir. It's, it's aimed at YA, but it's for anyone it's a very detailed retelling of Tommy Smith's life, growing up as the son of a share of a sharecroppers, moving on to become uh, a great multi-sport athlete and recruited. So it's just more about his life, and it's just done with great talent, with dynamic and moving illustrations uh, by Anna Buile. So who and who published it? Tell it's me. published by W. W. Norton uh, oh, Norton Books for Young Readers. Very nice. But really, right. this is a book for anybody. It's a very detailed and a very well done. Uh, and dynamically illustrated. The sports scenes are fabulous uh, uh, by Dawood. So that's what I've been doing. So, Calvin, remind our listeners where they can find us on Twitter and tweet at us what's working for them geekily. You can uh, tweet back at us at PW Comics World on Twitter. Yes, and let us know what what's, you- what's going on for you geekily. Yes. What's going on for you, yeah. geekily? What are you Let digging out there? Yeah. Let please, us know. Please. We really want to hear from you. And on that note, there will be... More? To come.